Welcome to the second season of the Make the Future podcast. I'm your host, Jacques Beauvais, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Ottawa. Join us as we have conversations with different thought leaders about current issues facing the engineering industry. Let's explore the future of technology and innovation and how, through creativity and collaboration, we can make the future. They say the future is coming, but that's not true. The future is already here. And it's relentless. It's not going to wait for you to catch up. How will we live in this future? How will we make sense of it? To define our course, we need a new perspective. One that engages our curiosity, that activates our imagination, one that defies the conventional. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it. So welcome to today's podcast, where we're going to look again at the question of equity, diversity, inclusivity. And I'm joined again by Tusha Agampodi, who's engineering manager at Magnet Forensics. Welcome, Tusha. Thank you. So we still have a lot of questions about where does the lack of diversity come from? And have what have we done in terms of progress and and to see, you know, how does it happen when we're doing the recruitment and how does it start? And we've got some really interesting guests today to talk about this. So we have Erin Blasky, who's the director of marketing at Elspark, and she's been a regular columnist for the Huffington Post. She's worked with Forbes, Entrepreneur, and the Wall Street Journal. And we're also going to be joined by Carolina Corral, who's a, an alumni of the University of Ottawa in communications in 2014, and she's a recruitment program specialist at Kinaxis, and she's also part of the Ottawa Canada North Regional Alumni Council and on the program committee for the Ottawa Canada North Initiative. So she she knows about what how we're trying to reach out and connect with the industry, and. Um, I think it's interesting. You in the very first episode, Tusha, you talked about the importance in going to high school and, and meet some people and you've written about this on on LinkedIn. It's really important. I think, you know, while we work hard to create inclusive environments, um, the fact still exists that we're not getting enough women coming into these STEM fields. Right. So I think we have to start as early as we can. If you you know, if I have small kids now so I can see the effect um, that starts really early. So I'm really looking forward to talking to Erin um, and Carolina. So let's jump into our conversation then. So welcome to today's podcast. We're going to discuss inclusion and diversity and the importance of allies in, in the work environment. Please talk a little about, about the experience of being a startup founder. Um, how was your experience, you know, as a woman in the tech sector and all that? Or did you need, did you have allies? Did you have mentors? We've talked a little bit about over the last episodes about mentors and coaches. Yeah, so I started my company really young. I was 21 and I was a, you know, from a very small town, uh, a lot of blue collar workers. I didn't have a lot of examples of what it meant to be a CEO or to run a company. Um, but I just had this vision from the age of six, which I know sounds really funny, but um, my dad 
dad had given me a Commodore 64, and I remember playing with it and thinking, this is the coolest. Yeah, Commodore 64. And so I remember thinking, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And um, from there, I I remember setting it all up, and I'd play office with my sister. She was always my secretary, because she's my younger sister. (laughs) That's just what you do with younger siblings. Um, But I played with this computer, and I would play office, and I was the CEO, and I fill a briefcase filled with, like, papers and walk around the house. And this was sort of something that stuck with me for a really long time. But not having a lot of examples, I didn't really know how to go about it or how to start a company until I started working down here in Ottawa. And I had a female CEO in our company. And she really was, I would think, I would say was the first time when I looked at someone and thought, I want to be her. Like, this is really cool. She's running a company. You know, she's got the, you know, the world's her oyster. There's unlimited potential here. And so I, I think probably six months into that role, I started my own company. Mm-hmm. I started a virtual assistance business, which means something very different in 2004 than it does today. It literally has nothing to do with like virtual like, that we would think about today, except that I was just providing services to companies from around the world from here, um, right in the Ottawa Valley. And this was really eye-opening for me because it was it opened sort of this entire world of uh, possibility that I didn't know. I mean, I guess I kind of knew it existed. I had glimpses of it, um, but I really got thrown into it. And what was interesting, though, is a lot of my early clients weren't from here. So they mm-hmm. were in the in the Silicon Valley in the States. And so working with them, I actually initially didn't find there was any sort of barrier to entry or um, inability to kind of uh, take take hold of some of these opportunities. For me, it was sort of just like they need the work, and then I have the service, so let's pair together, and it and it worked really really well. Once I got into the working world, so I actually did the reverse of what a lot of people do. A lot of people start employed and move self-employed. I did the opposite. Um, moving in that direction, uh, coming back into the work world and working in tech, where I was face to face now with men and women, I realized there are a lot of problems. Um, it's not an easy you know, road to walk as a woman, in tech especially. And since then, I've really had to uh, find you know, communities of women that I can rely on, that I can be an ally for, um, and really look for that. But it, early days for me as a startup founder, I would have told you I had zero problems. And so my experience, I would say, was slightly different. Um, I'm from Poland and I studied law um, in Poland, which was very male dominated and it was it was clear. Um, and when I moved to Canada, I went back to school to University of Ottawa and I studied management there and um, my new environment was very diverse. And to be honest, I didn't see any problems uh, then. Um, but then when I started working, I started realizing how much more difficult it is for women in many different ways. Finding mm-hmm. a potential mentor can be really difficult if you work with mostly men mm-hmm. and you're a young female because all of a sudden this man may want to take you for lunch or for mm-hmm. coffee and people start talking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, really difficult if you end up in an environment where you work with mostly men and you're looking for a mentor. Uh, you don't really have many options. And then there are other things like going golfing. Um, this is something I've never done and didn't really have interest in doing. 
and I realized that all of that all of my male coworkers would get together and go golfing, or mm-hmm. get together go for beer, or get together and do something together and bond and develop relationships and find mentors kind mm-hmm. of in a natural way. And I couldn't do it because I was not a part of it. And maybe also I didn't want to go for beer after work mm-hmm. uh, every day, right? I actually I do have a mentor and he's a male and uh, we have a we have a program mentorship program so I was able to be um, matched with someone based on our skills and what we have to offer to each other Mm -hmm. so it's official and it's organized and I don't think I could uh, benefit from something like that in an environment when it's not supported so the way that's done you how could I say? You feel comfortable? You feel the trust yes, in that mentor? exactly. And, and, you know, you sign up for the program. Okay. Uh, you mm-hmm. fill in a profile. It's kind of like dating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you say what not, you're Not in my for. days. Yeah. We didn't fill out forms today. Yeah. <laughs> That's how people date now. Okay. <laughs> you, you have an online profile. You say what you're interested in. And then other people have an online profile. And they say what they have to offer. And you get matched by someone who's um, uh, administering this program. And this is how you find your mentor. Mm. So it's it's amazing. This existed at BlackBerry as well, the the mentorship program. But definitely I agree with you. They say the relationships you build outside of work are so important to strengthening how you work together. So definitely, um, you know, if you're going golfing with your buddies and if you're going for beer. Like when I first got out of engineering, um, I didn't really like beer. I do now, but partly because I had to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like wine. I've always liked wine. (laughs) But I had to like beer, Mm -hmm. and I, because that that was my option. I worked in a team of all guys, and they would go out for beer, and I I was missing out if Mm -hmm. I didn't go because, you know, of course your work conversation continues outside, and they would have discussions and come to agreement, and then they'd get to work, and they'd be like, oh, we made this decision at the pub and yeah. that wouldn't be okay so what i encourage young women at my company now and i ask the the male leaders too you know if you're going out for coffee or if you're going out for lunch what's your natural instinct mm-hmm. like you might go grab someone from the team but you gravitate towards more towards another mm-hmm. guy to say hey i'm going to grab a coffee do you want to come with and i tell them what stops you from going to ask one of the women mm-hmm. and they're like well it's kind of weird. People might talk. You know, there's the whole the, mm-hmm. the yes. view stigma. from society, the stigma yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So I remind them, I'm like, you have to get over that because the women are not getting the same time with you that the men are getting yeah. them, you know? So men and women have to be aware of it and just... Yeah, and you know, going back to the networking events that you were talking about, one of the things that I recognized in our in my position at AllSpark, we do a lot of events mm-hmm. throughout the year for founders, and they were always sort of the same events, you know, this typical networking event with beer and wine and whatever. And so I looked at that, and there's, there's sort of twofold. For me, it was also a mental health um, aspect to it, too. Like, I wanted to look at how could we encourage entrepreneurs to get out from behind their computer, not get so burnt out, talk to other founders and that kind of thing. But knowing that there's a, you know, a place for events that are a little bit more inclusive and a little bit more encouraging for, you know, especially women to come out to, we started a new series called Unplugged. 
Yeah, and it's been it's been amazing. It's uh, we've done yoga, we've done rock climbing, which is you know very unisex um, sport, even though it's more of still male um, dominated. No golf. Uh, no golf. No. And now we're doing hiking in September, where we're actually going to have some speakers, and they're going to talk about failure founder or founder failures, mm-hmm. um, and. The feedback we've had is not just on the diversity side from these events, but also that not everyone wants to go out and drink. And some people mm-hmm. don't even want to attend events where there's alcohol for their own yep. personal reasons. For mm-hmm. cultural reasons. Yeah. Many. Yep. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's anyway, it's been fantastic. It's actually got a lot of female founders out, which has been amazing. A lot of women in tech out. And, and I just think it's it's a side effect to like, it's, you know, sort of one of these side benefits that we we went in on more on the mental health aspect. Um, you know, being someone who suffered from burnout and depression in my past as a, as a founder. Um, but now we have this other feedback coming out, too, of that, that they're more inclusive. You know, who's missing from the table? And that table could be anything. It could be the stage. It could be a panel. It could be, you know, whatever it mm-hmm. is that we're working on. And I think it's nice to see that question being asked more, whereas even a year ago, that was not a question that I saw people asking a whole lot. And I do find even my own mindset, again, I can only speak to my own experiences, but even my own mindset has changed. And now I won't actually say yes to anything if I can't answer the question, is this an inclusive initiative? Is this accessible for everyone? And if it's not accessible for everyone, I'm actually saying no now. So I find that even for myself, from my own personal experience, I feel like my mind has been shifted a lot. And if, I, if I'm just one mind and I know I'm not alone, I'm sure a lot of other people's mindsets been changing. I think definitely I've heard that initiative for men and women to be aware of if you're being asked to speak on a panel, if there are no women on the panel, you should consider declining. You know, yes. you join the panels that are more inclusive. So I think if more of us were aware of that, we could progress much faster. Because you're working on the recruiting side, I'm curious to hear about what types of steps you take to to be aware of the unconscious biases that exist and how you get a diverse mix of candidates in. Mm-hmm. So first of all, um, where do you think the recruiting process starts? Candidate applies and you start interviewing. But I would say it starts it starts much earlier mm-hmm. um, with your employer branding activities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we cannot hope anymore that candidates that we want will somehow come across our job mm-hmm. description mm-hmm. somewhere posted mm-hmm. on internet. And I think we actually have to take steps and very intentional steps to make people aware of our organization and why it would be a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. So this is employer branding mm-hmm. and and what we do and how we do it and stories that we tell will attract different types of candidates. So um, even simple things like uh, you know pictures of, of employees working together who are they? Are they mm-hmm. free white males or are they a more diverse group, right? Or do you highlight your female employees mm-hmm. and their accomplishments? Um, and this is, first of all, how you get different types of people um, interested in your organization. Because unfortunately, if 90% of your candidates are male, you will end up hiring more men. Mm-hmm. It's just simple yep. math. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to do something to attract different groups. So I would say this is where it starts. It's important to um, go to different events, really make sure that you target different groups. 
um, and really expand your candidate pool um, and and maybe think a little bit outside of the box. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say this is step one. And then your job descriptions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. And yeah. you want to make sure that you are attracting all kinds of candidates. So for example, you don't want your vocabulary to be very masculine. So words like dominate or competitive, competitive mm -hmm. will attract more males than females. And there are many online tools where you can just copy your job description, paste it, and it will analyze mm -hmm. it for you, tell you if it's more masculine or feminine, mm -hmm. and suggest what words you could replace with more neutral mm -hmm. words. We've that's really cool. Magnets, right? Really? Yes. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's great that you do that. Um, also your requirements. Mm -hmm. So research has shown that women are less likely to mm -hmm. apply for jobs that they are underqualified for. So if you have a very long list of requirements, you may end up getting more male candidates who are underqualified as well, yeah. but more likely to apply anyway than female candidates. And you are missing on, on mm -hmm. many really strong candidates, mm -hmm. right? And what else? Uh, during your interview process, first of all, you want to make sure um, it's standardized. Mm -hmm. uh, so you mm -hmm. follow the same steps with all of your candidates. Um, I think that a lot of companies uh, still rely a lot on referrals, which mm -hmm. is great because when you get referrals, you get people who hopefully will fit your culture and help mm -hmm. you strengthen it. Um, but also you are at risk of hiring more of the same people. The same type yes. of people, definitely. Yeah. So yeah. then it's especially important to go through the same process even with your referrals. Mm -hmm. For the interview process, I wanted to say and ask what you think about this. We've done this too. We put like diverse mix of interviewers. Yes. You know, so that because we all have our biases, mm -hmm. oh, as yeah. long as they pass the technical interview, I figured, you know, let their diversity, sh like, have your biases mm -hmm. so that because I have diverse mix of interviewers, mm -hmm. they can hire diversity, you know? Exactly. And it's normal. We all tend to like people mm -hmm. who are similar to us more yes. than people who aren't. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so having a diverse group of interviewers is very important. Um, and also, it's for the candidate's benefit as well, because if, if, let's say, I go to an interview and I'm being interviewed by six men, maybe I'm not as comfortable mm -hmm. as I could have oh, been no, if it was a more diverse group, right? Um, so it, it's definitely very important. And also there are many ways to really focus on skills rather than the profile of the candidate and the mm -hmm. background or gender or age or anything else. Um, or even educational diversity. That's important too. Um, not everyone can afford to go to the best school, mm -hmm. uh, but they may still be very smart and valuable mm -hmm. and really add a lot of value to your organization. Um, so there are many ways you can really focus on skills. So for example, what we do uh, at Kinaxis, for certain jobs, we have an online test and anyone can take it without even submitting a resume. As long as the score is good, we will invite this mm. person for an interview. Mm. And at this point, we know nothing about them. All we know is the email address that they used to complete the mm. test. We don't know how old they are, where they went to school, what their background is, nothing. Um, so that's that's another way you can you can really focus on skills yeah. and not, not everything else that may bias you. Mm -hmm. a bit. Mm -hmm. Did you? in your process. Did you find 
did that, like after you put that in place, did you find your pool yes. got more diverse? And actually, we ended up hiring a few people that we would never hired otherwise because you, like old guys like me no but seriously i would never screen the resume in i would just think this candidate is not qualified and i'm sure that our managers would never want mm -hmm. to talk to them mm. uh, but mm. because they started with the test yeah. We reached out, and then we realized, oh wow, this is this is actually really great that we are doing this mm -hmm. because otherwise we would never talk to this person. And these people that have surprised you, they would, they become great employees. Yes, amazing employees. Yeah. And so, what do you think it was? Was it was it uh, like in terms of why they weren't screened in before? Was it usually like their resume wasn't so great, yeah. or so it could be lack of experience, mm -hmm. um, or maybe a degree that is not mm -hmm. relevant okay. or lack of Canadian experience mm -hmm. I know there's a bias against that right you know mm -hmm. so I went shopping some time ago for a gift for a friend who just had a baby and I could not believe what I saw and there were clothes for baby girls and they were pink and they had mm -hmm. pretty fabulous signs on it and then there were clothes for baby boys and they had signs like adventurous mm. and go space traveler yeah. <laughs> and i just couldn't or do like it mvp that. yes that's yeah. what i have on the boys shirts and, yes. and girls princess yeah. Yeah. i have a boy and a girl and i've noticed yes how it's given me an interesting perspective about how they're treated differently by mm -hmm. society so early on because all of us often come into my daughter about what she's wearing and how she looks mm -hmm. and then people come into my son about what he does mm -hmm. and what he accomplishes and then the shirts don't help mm -hmm. all of the ones for guys like it says there's shirts that say just go for it i wish i had a shirt growing up as a girl that said just go for it yeah. you know so and my daughter's ones are all like unicorns and rainbows and and there's ones that say no drama <laughs> your smile can change the world what do you see around you not necessarily in your company but around around the industry right now? So we've been trying to make some progress. For example, um, we actually partnered with University of Ottawa. I'm not sure if you know, with uh, the Faculty of Education. And uh, for two years now, we've been organizing high school hackathons. So we partner through University of Ottawa with certain high schools and um, we send our employees to work with students as mentors. Mm -hmm. Um, and students get a month to develop a game, actually. Oh, so game. And then at the end of the month, we all get together and they present their projects and we choose winners. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason we do it is because we want to encourage more people to consider computer science mm -hmm. and related programs uh, when they go to university, but also maybe encourage more girls as well. Mm -hmm. um, do you send female mentors when you... Do you carefully pick we, who you Yes, send? we do try, but unfortunately we have more male developers, mm -hmm. so we end up with more male mentors. I'm, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm thinking, like, I've done high school visits to talk about why mm -hmm. I went through engineering, mm -hmm. um, and something you just said struck with me, because we've had these conversations with a few other folks now. I would love for us, at least in Canada and Ottawa, 
um, to all come together because I know a lot of companies have these initiatives that they're working on mm-hmm. to increase the pipeline and it has to start at high school level mm-hmm. you know or yes. earlier yeah so given that like my company is doing this and your company is doing this we're all doing mm-hmm. this I would love for us to start a program where we all get in it together yeah. to put more examples out there in front of these young women mm-hmm. in high school or earlier mm-hmm. I don't know what that is, but I... Well, a good model, too, sorry, is uh, Technovation. Technovation is a fantastic model. They've been able to take that globally. Mm. And I know know they're more focused on sort of the building of a startup, Mm -hmm. but it's still very tech-focused because they're programming the product that they're building, they're putting it all together, and then they present it. Sounds very similar to the hackathon, and and that's been an incredible program. Mm -hmm. I've been looking at some research recently about uh, someone analyzed lines in movies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. compared how many lines male characters yes. have versus female characters yeah. and it looks like in most of movies men just yes. talk and women are there just they're ready yes i saw the same research and yeah. was i was astounded it's on i wouldn't have even noticed it but i am not I would not be surprised at the impact that it's had on me subconsciously. But we've also you know? been subconsciously yeah. programmed not to notice it, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. I think we grow up thinking that um, how we look is more important than yes. what we say. It takes a long time to get out of that, you mm-hmm. know, and there's not enough role models of strong female leaders out there. And yes. we don't see it in movies. We don't, even in the ads you see on TV, you know, the ads compare the ads for men versus women's mm-hmm. products it's it's all about looks and not about or in the age of the in- instagram influencer as well oh, you know like i can be famous for looking really cute <laughs> on my instagram and that that is what people see and that looks like something to aspire to and yeah. it would be so fantastic if instead you know there was instagram accounts of incredible women that were doing amazing things in stem that you know then i could say to my daughter you know, follow these accounts. Because as soon as she sees that it's a possibility, then she's then she starts to think, oh, I can do that too. But until that moment, it's not even on her radar. And teachers, I read a study that talked about how teachers early on, like grade three, four, mm-hmm. um, and this continues on to your career, give um, feedback differently to men versus women. So young boys it's like the difference between effort-based feedback and ability-based feedback um so if you tell someone like if they do something you know really well you say wow you tried really hard you know great job they're more likely to do it again Mm -hmm. as opposed if you just say like good job you know Mm -hmm. you're so good at that Mm -hmm. then um next time you give them something harder to do they might not try Mm -hmm. because they might think oh i only want to hear you say like i'm good at it so it you always want to praise them about trying. And apparently boys are given that effort-based feedback oh, yeah. a lot more. Mm-hmm. And even in performance reviews at, in companies, um, I've read that women are given feedback that's more personal. Right. Where you, you it might be like you talk too much. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if you give the same feedback to a man, apparently it's more constructive. Like you might say, you should slow down and listen more. So right. there's just, it's it's the same feedback, but worded differently, and one is constructive, mm-hmm. and one is personal. So this was a study I read somewhere or about... you're too direct. Yes. Versus... Yes. Uh, women get that all the time. You're driven, right? Yes, yes. 
Yeah, I think it actually would be really interesting to um, assess that and, and sort of just see, you know, what what is the impact if you started to change that dialogue in workplaces? Because I know, and, and even if you start to think about um, and listen to how your colleagues are talking about each other. You, mm-hmm. I mean, you hope they're not talking about each other, you know, negatively, but I'm sure that they do. And if you just start to think about how are they talking about that person? Are they saying, oh, you know, Erin is, is, she's so hyper or she's so, I mean, because I'm sure people say that about me, I'm very hyper. But, uh, you know, that, that could be a very personal characteristic mm-hmm. of me rather than she gets things done or she's dedicated or hardworking because I think yeah. it's right. It's very personal. I ask when people sometimes say that comment about a woman, I usually ask, would you say the same if that was a guy? Just imagine that was a guy. Right. Would you apply that same term? And if you wouldn't, then maybe don't use it. Like, would you call mm-hmm. a guy bossy? If you wouldn't, then don't use that term yes. with the woman. I'm coming back to the topic we started with, which was networking. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk to Erin. Um, you know, you've talked about finding your tribe mm-hmm. and finding a group of women. And Erin and I are part of this group of women. We lunch together every once in a while. Yeah. I get a lot out of it, but I was curious to ask her, mm-hmm. like, what you get out of it, you know, finding yeah. this group of women, because I think you were asking about how hard it, you were saying how hard it is to network. Mm-hmm. So I think certainly for the younger generation, it's good to hear. Yeah, I get a lot out of it. Uh, and and I would say, you know, the lunch that I do with you and the other, you know, relationships that I've built with other mentors or other groups, I get a lot out of it because I think the first thing that it does is it lets me know that the things I'm experiencing are not unique to me. And, and that's both comforting but also a little sad, especially depending on what we're talking about. Because if I'm talking about having a terrible experience with you know, some, some male in tech, then I'm, and then someone else is like, well, me too. Then I'm, it's sort of like, okay, you don't want that to be the case. Uh, but it's reassuring that at least what I'm going through isn't in a silo. Um, I also really love how empowered it makes me feel. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of conversations around um, how to ask for what you're worth or about, you know, just negotiating salaries, like different things that are hard conversations often for women. And those things I do carry back into my into my job and I carry them into the rest of my, you know, working life. So for me, it's really valuable. And I try to always as well give back into the group when I can, as you know, anytime I can. So I actually was just having a call this morning with one of the ladies in the group and uh, we were chatting about, you know, career progressions and just like general career stuff. And the ability for me to kind of have both the group, but then take those one-on-ones when they're more intentional has been really, you know, it's just been really great for me. And, you know, and I feel very fortunate. I've had a an interesting career with a lot of winding paths and because of that I feel like I've got a lot of different experiences I could share again through my own lens uh, and to be able to pass that on to someone else uh, feels really great so I get a lot and I try to give a lot where whenever I can and for me it's just been great to feel like part of a community but imagine being a part of a group that doesn't have that at all um, so for example, at Kinaxis, we hire people on the autism spectrum. Mm. Um, and I went to a conference some time ago um, about autism at work. And I was listening to a speaker who told this amazing story. Uh, he was on the autism spectrum and he grew up in 50s in south of United States. And he didn't know back then that he was on the spectrum. 
he grew up with a bit of a racist um, community and he's, one of his good friends was a female who was African-American and her father was very encouraging and he would always point out those successful women who maybe were also African-American and encourage her to be like them and don't be discouraged and he told us there were no people like him mm. that someone mm. would point out to him mm. and tell him look this person is also on the spectrum and look how successful they are so i think that just talking mm. about all those issues regardless of what group we we are talking about just talking about those issues and being transparent and uh, sharing with others our own experiences is so important mm -hmm. uh, for other people to not feel alone. It's a pleasure to interview both of you. No, well, it's mutual. And have this conversation. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. So, Tusha, that's been four conversations that we've been having with some leaders in Ottawa on the topic of equity, diversity, and inclusivity. I feel like I've learned quite a bit about where this lack of diversity starts, where the ideas are, are even being embedded in the thinking of our, of our, of our children and our young people, um, there's still a lot to do on our part. I mean, we, we talk about this, but we're very far away from having solving the issue, haven't we? I know we are. It's been great. I have also learned quite a bit. Um, I think we have a lot of work left to do. I'm really glad to have all of these leaders who joined us to, to continue to have the conversation. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, in Ottawa, we continue to talk about these topics until we get to a point where um, we can improve our numbers. And it's really vital because as much as we like to say that the Ottawa Tech Hub has, has expanded its, its it's the number one tech hub in Canada. It's it not only its growth, but even its its survival depends on our ability to really progress on these issues. So thank you so much, Tusha, and I hope that for uh, our listeners, that those conversations were uh, as inspiring to you as they were to us, and that uh, we were able to contribute to to push those conversations just a little further. I want to thank you all for tuning in on this episode of the Make the Future podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and that you learned as much as I did. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss the next episode. I would also like to really thank our guests and the podcast production team. Carl Bournes, Valérie Sanson, Karen Massey, and Francis Bertrand Lafrenière. And I really hope you can join us next time.